Um, all right, hello and welcome to the Bryce Cast. This is episode 12. I am Bryce, of course, bringing you through all Call of Duty esports news and topics for this week. But more importantly, joining me for this one, coach of the Dallas Empire and legend of the Call of Duty scene himself, it's Rambo or Ray to many people. First of all, how are you? I'm good, man. Uh, I mean, obviously enjoying the offseason now, having a little yeah. fun, playing some golf, bowling tournaments, not doing anything Call of Duty-wise, really. <laughs> kind of just refreshing my brain. I feel like that's one of the things that's going to help me kind of pursue this kind of part of my career more so is really kind of taking in time and not just kind of drain myself out and go yeah. nonstop for 12 months a year. When I, when I, like, basically when I played, it was nonstop all the time. There was no such thing as an off season when I competed. So, um, so yeah, definitely enjoy my time away from it. And I mean, I'm also excited to get back into it whenever it starts. Oh, that's awesome to hear, man. Like I said, there's, there's so much to talk about with you because uh, you've got such a, like a long story career and you've done a few interesting things. Um, I think the obvious one to start is first of all, congratulations on the world championship. Yeah. Uh, and, and what was your kind of reaction once that, you know, the obviously coming through it and seeing your team win of a, a team you came in to coach, you know, how did that kind of go for you? I mean, it was exciting. Honestly, I was a part of my worry when I first joined and, and the coaching role was that I wouldn't really feel, I guess, not needed, but like there's a word like I wouldn't really feel like like I, I, I'm part of this like earning aspect of yeah. it. Um, and, and that kind of brushed away really quickly as I started working with the team and, and a lot of the players on the team made me feel very welcome and, and made me feel like my involvement was very strong and useful to them. So, um, so yeah, when we won champs, I mean, it was, it was erratic. It was exciting. I, it's obviously, it's not quite the same as you're competing. Um, obviously I was pretty close twice as a player getting to that point, but, yeah. but I mean, it was just as exciting for me to be part of it and, and really know that what I did helped the team win and in any way shape or form and I, I, yeah, I finally get my ring i'm excited about that too <laughs> i mean you've been close before anyway but i think it's it's for me it's it's so curious um like with your point of view coming into that team and i suppose we'll kind of jump straight into it right because realistically in your career you've done you've played with some of the guys you've played against them this isn't something like you're coming out of the dark coming forward but like you just said you've coming into a coaching role how was it from your point of view, taking up the reins of not only a prestigious organization, but very, very well known and sort of famous players and walking in as, hey, I'm your coach. So, so again, like my, my biggest thing, there's a few things we can talk about there, but I'll, I'll really start with like, when I competed, I was kind of a coach myself almost. Oh, as I, know, if, yeah. I was like, I was basically very vocal to my team about what I wanted to happen and not in the best way. And, and that was my biggest fear coming into this was like, am I going to itch players the wrong way? Like I did when I competed. And, and one of the things that actually helped me grow getting away from that scene and, and going into game development was my communication skills. Yeah. Um, obviously being part of a corporate environment, you're not like big top dog. Like you can't just, can't just talk to people in a way that's demeaning or, or not necessarily the nicest way you have really have to be careful about how you choose your words. And that kind of grew me as a human being and just not even just like from a working, just as a person. Um, so when I came back into it, actually, one thing that I found a lot easier was to really getting through, getting through the players in ways that, that they take in and they want to kind of talk about, right? Like yeah. not just me saying this is the way and do it in a bad way. It was more me like opening and being vocal about what I feel is probably one of the right ways to do it. And then kind of going through with them about the process of how we can make that, those things happen. Um, and yeah, like one thing that, and, and I knew my place, right? Like I came in what, four or five months after the season started yeah. after the game came out. So like, 
obviously I'm not going to come in with the fresh mindset of like, I'm going to help these guys learn a game from start to finish. My role from the get go was, and this is very much like me wanting to take the reins on that was to help the team get on the same page and really make sure that we're doing the things strategically as a team, the right way, not really kind of focusing on individual players and mindsets like that came maybe a little bit later in the year, but I felt like Krim and Clay did a really good job before I came along to really kind of get Shotzi and Illy and Tyler on, on kind of that, that page of like getting to know what you really need to do, the small things you need to do to accomplish and win as a team in the Call of Duty realm. Because that's one thing like to me, and even like we're, we're talking now, like what Shotzi won MVP this year and yeah. Illy could have easily been in conversation for the same thing. Those two players hadn't competed in Call of Duty before and they still have a lot to learn. Like they're very good players, but but they're not even near their potentials, which to me is incredible. Like that's that's awesome. And that's one thing I'm, I'm going to be changing a little bit next year going into it is I'm hoping to get my hands on the game and more see the game as a player as well. Cause my perspective was very much as like an outside person. Like I, I watched Modern Warfare from the start of the year. Like I, I was into it and obviously I knew what my role was going to be from the start of the year, just hadn't started right away because of visa issues. But, um, but yeah, like it's just, it's crazy to see how things kind of projected through the year and, and where, where I came in. I feel like it kind of molded the team perfectly. Like they didn't need, they didn't need like a coach coach, a person that's really going to tell them what to do or, yeah. or how they should go about things. It was more someone that's going to help them kind of put the pieces of the puzzles together and really kind of force the strain as a team. No, I, I can see that because I think a lot of people, and this, and, and I'm trying to put this in the nicest way, right? Because it's always difficult to talk about players um, in this way. But Clay and Krim, right? There are coaches who would go into that situation and I believe they probably would be ignored. Right, there are people who would try, and and, and it's, I mean, like I, said, I mean, that's I, mean I mean, in the nicest way, right? Like, there's no, no nice way to you. put that. You know, you're talking to, to multiple world champions, right. right? You know, incredible careers and all this sort of stuff. Um, like I said, I think one benefit of you is that you have been, you know, you are one of the legends of Call of Duty, if you don't mind me saying, and that obviously gives you a little bit of credibility in their eyes. It would be easier with Shotzi and Illy and all this to to coach them from a very first standpoint. Um, but like it would it's always interested me how dealing for with disagreements in that environment would go down. Like because obviously at some point you have to realise, oh, I am the head coach here. I have I you know, I have the responsibility of making this team better. If the team has a poor result or if they're constantly in arguments or if they're basically just being lazy pieces of shit, then at some point, the buck will stop with you. So at some point, you would have to maybe stamp a little bit of authority on the situation. How 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 kind of nuanced is that from your point of view, coming in with, like you said, you know, probably well-disciplined players who know what they're doing? So I hate giving... I'm a very humble person. I don't like giving myself props on things. And yeah. if there's one thing I can give myself prop is really finding finding where I needed to come in and help and what capacity of like that involvement that you think a head coach should have yeah. in the team. And and the situation I came in last year, obviously coming mid-year, uh, regardless if it was mid-year or not, like I'm very much there to help them win. I'm not there to tell them how to win. I'm not yeah. there to, to dictate how things are going. I'm, I'm like a sixth man is really the way I saw it. And I feel like every person could have handled that differently. Right. Like, like, like you're saying, like if someone's hired to be a head coach on a different team and the team maybe isn't doing too hot, which granted at the time I came in before, like I came in like two or three weeks before the LA event, like we weren't a very, like, I felt like we were a good team, but like we weren't proven, right? Like we hadn't win an event, like LA was our first win. 
Um, we, we had a good showing in London, but for the most part, we didn't have really success to show for what we were doing that year. So I could have came in and be like, yo, like we're not doing things right here. Like, like, no, like, like there needs to be an understanding of like what situation you come in. And, and I felt like my, my, my understanding of where I needed to kind of molds to help the team get better was, was pretty strong. And a lot of teams could have, like I said, a lot of people could have been doing it differently. And, and again, it's just weird. Cause like so much, there's so much into coaching and there's so many things yeah. like, I mean, I was also technically a GM this year and I still am um, granted. Like I'm not doing, I guess my role I'd say is probably more 60% coaching and 40% GM uh-huh. uh, for the most part. Um, and, and I feel like it was probably not going to change for the time being until I really feel comfortable to kind of give the coaching aspect to someone else, maybe down the road, that's going to happen. But as of right now, I still very much enjoy the coaching aspect of it, being with the guys day to day and, and seeing the progress that they make to me is super invigorating. And it's awesome to feel like, like, Hey, like we're doing something here and we're getting better at this. And I always loved that as a player. That was probably my favorite part as well. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's just crazy, dude. Like, like we had a, there's actually an esports uh, coaching and casting. I think sender and, and replay or no, Sender and was it Revan? I can't remember who what other coach was in that meeting. Um, it was a podcast or something. But basically, there were so many questions and so many different theories on how different coaches handled their teams and how they went about their jobs. And that's the cool part of what we do is like you really have to like the best part to me is like having an understanding of what your team needs. And the best coaches are going to do that properly. And the ones that aren't getting to their players or or like you said, they, their players just don't respect them. To me, are going are doing the job they need to be doing to help their team win. No, like I said, it, it, it's super curious to me because I think there are there are probably franchises in the league that have the opposite problem of what you have. They do have unruly players. If you were to go take your situation, if you went into another team in the league four or five months in, and I don't want to name any names here, but there are clearly problems in other franchises with players not maybe meshing together or just not caring as much. Obviously, with Dallas, you didn't really have that problem. You could tell that you know no. with the veterans you had. Um, but it's like for me, I feel like people haven't focused on that. You had a whole different array of potential issues that could have arrived going into a team that was still at top three, right? They were always in contention. It was never, you know, oh, I've got to resurrect this team from bottom 12. So right. for you, you know, you can only kind of fail downwards. <laughs> Fortunately, right. you yeah, mentioned no, the only right. thing, only way you could have gone up was, was realistically winning the world championship. But with, with how our roster was built, like it would have been a failure not to be like, at least in contention to win at the end of the year. Yeah. Like, like even if like some teams I'm sure started the year looking at it, like, Oh, maybe we can be like in the middle of the pack with the roster we have and how much we invested into this money wise and so on and so forth. Um, and that's, that's one thing that I really want to talk about. Maybe not right now, but a little later in the episode, if you want, but like the, the difficulty that some teams had to me were because of how they build the rosters and how they're seeing players and, and the dynamic of like what it is, what Call of Duty is now compared to what it was in the previous years because we're a franchise point and because you're hiring players like professional athletes do on the professional franchise teams, like football and soccer and all that stuff. um, It's different now. Like you need like attitude to me has always been an important trait as a player. That is the forefront of what makes a team successful. Our attitude as a team, like granted, like you look at the players on our team skill wise. Okay, sure. We were one of the better teams in the, in the, in the league, but you could have looked at other rosters and kind of think the same thing, dude. Like, like, I'm not saying there's their the skill level on our team wasn't the best or closest to the best, but really what pulled us through, in my opinion, was our, our attitude about how to go about things and, and how, we were, how we were able to handle our hardships this year. And, and I mean, we were like, that's the craziest shit is we're the only <laughs> team to grind the game on a daily basis. All five of our players are getting on playing tens at night after we're done scrimmings for the last two months of the game. 
I honestly can't point my finger at another team and say they were doing the same thing we were doing. That, and that, that to I mean, me is insane. Like, yeah. That's ridiculous. I think it's also a very fair point because I obviously heard, uh, I don't think I tweeted it, heard saying, you know, I, I see people going into the last two weeks before champs and barely putting in any effort, right? Which is, which is quite frankly mental. Like, what are you playing for at that point? If you are a competitive player and you don't see champs, regardless of its format, as an absolute pinnacle of Call of Duty esports and are willing to, to bleed yourself dry for it, what are you doing? Um, but it's not just that. It's also the organizations. Like, I'm a gym on another team and I see my players slacking off. Like, I'm sorry, bro, but your career is over. Like, like, if you don't, like, I'm paying you to care. That's basically what yeah. I'm doing here. Like, this is your job. If you don't have the will to get up, and compete for a ring and the amount of money involved at the end of the year. Like, sorry, you don't belong here. I, uh, you, you know what? You said we'll cover it later in the episode. I want to cover it now because, funny enough, I actually had a conversation like this um, with people involved in the franchise, as I won't say who, just this afternoon about player attitude. And we've always said going into franchising, we've, it's one of these things called everyone tries to pretend to be more professional every year. With franchising, a lot of people expected a significant step up. We have not heard that has happened across the board, you know, over the last eight months. People's attitude has not been right. They have chalked the game, you know, with months to go here, even on ridiculous salaries, right? That's and like you crazy. said about, about the attitude of players, I still think there is a serious problem with not a majority, but at least a good portion of players with the That's way that they approach this job. I'd say half the league. Yeah, easily. And that's a lot of people. <laughs> Players who, who have just taken it for granted, right? You know, they... No, 100%. They it's want been that to way win. For, for, it's been that way yeah. for a while, though. Like, you can't just say this is... Like, you. everyone thinks, like, flipping the franchise switch would change people's minds and how they see things. No, like, like some of these guys were grown into this that way for, like, four or five, six, seven years. And it's just, like, like you won't just change day to day unless someone really kind of puts you down and, like like sits you down in a corner and like talks to you about this. And like, this is like, if I was a GM on another team and I, I was keeping some of the same players that had the previous year and that had issues with their rosters and how they went about things. Like, like I'm sitting you down, like, dude, like, I'm sorry, but you need to like realize that like, this is an issue. Like I, I mean, I'll like, for example, like Parasite, like Paris is a player who's kind of like slowly self-destructed him on an attitude front through the years. Obviously a player is super capable of competing at the highest level, yeah. if not the highest level. And there's no doubt about that in anybody's mind. But from an attitude standpoint, like it's a complete risk to hire that player yeah. on any team. And he did that to himself. Like I, I, I like Chris. Like Chris is a person, like he's got a good heart, but he's just had his way and just really kind of attitude-wise has just put himself so far deep in that totem pole of players that like, like that's not a player that's going to help you win a tournament or, or a, a mentality that he's shown. Granted, he could have changed. Who knows? But is that's a huge risk. But like, and I feel like there's so many more players that are on that level now. And as soon as organization realize that, those players are going to be in the same boat he is. And, yeah. and it's like we're in a, we're in a state of status now where I feel like AMs need to understand more so than anybody else. They need to understand that attitude is one of the leading factors that will help them get to that next level. Yeah. And like I'm looking like for example like Shotzi dude like shot like. That was the easiest coaching job I could have ever been put into. Like, granted, Krim and Clay, not always the easiest people to work with, but they want to win, and they'll listen to things you say, and they'll have a discussion about it. Granted, it's not always clean, and it's not always the most fun discussion to have, but that's just the way it is. Like, you need those kind of, like, discussions and hardships on the team. But, like, I've never seen any player, even when I competed, I used to give people shit all the time. Shotzi <laughs> and Illy and Hugh, by far the most receptive shit takers, if that's a word or, or a saying... <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. I mean, crap. I think Shotzi was 
was probably yelled at, cussed, cussed, not cussed out, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like put, 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 put down the, on the floor, probably like, I don't know, like maybe like 30, 40 times after I joined the team. And this guy maybe got mad once and yeah. just took it in and understood that like, granted, I'm not being told this in the best way possible, but I'm going to take the pieces that'll make me better as a person, as a player. Yeah. And this kid grow, grew from like whatever start year mishaps he had to the MVP of the year. And that's just like attitude wise, obviously great players, skill wise, amazing. We can't talk about that enough, but attitude wise to me is what's the most insane part about a young player like that. And I feel like if there's more amateurs out there that can do that, granted the skill may not be like as extreme, but like if they have that attitude and at least enough skill to kind of compensate in some, some ways, I feel like you're going to see a huge landscape change in the pro in the actual player community on the pro teams in the coming years. And it's not going to happen quick, but I feel like that's where we're in the direction that most things are going. You know, I actually, I actually agree with basically everything that you said there. I think it's, it's something I like to call the, you know, we, cause I was speaking about coaches earlier, funny enough. And um, I said, I, it's difficult for me to quantify who has been a good and bad coach this year, because I know there have been factors outside of control. Obviously this doesn't always go with, you know, your job specifically, but some of them didn't even get to build their rosters, right? Some of them have got players who aren't listening to them. Some of them have got players they can't even drop if they want to. So, like, how do I quantify who's a good coach here? Because you are right, and I think one of the main attributes people are not talking about, because it hasn't been a thing in Call of Duty for a long time, is, is a player coachable? Can I work with this player and maybe improve them, but also make them function in a system and a team that we are working with? Because, as you will know, Ray... For a long time, players will just chalk a team very, very easily if they don't think it's going to work. They don't work on making it better. They just like shitting on their teammates uh, and basically saying, I don't think we can do any better here and try to get a team change. It's not yeah, It's I not was, the same anymore. No, and I was lucky enough in my career to not have to go through that much crap. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I stopped competing is because I felt like I was going to go through that loophole of where I wasn't able to team with the players that I felt lacked confidence in my abilities and and wanted to go by the system that I kind of went by and I stopped playing because I felt like I was literally going to be stuck in that kind of wormhole where you just go from team to team to team. And yeah, and that was not a, that was not a healthy lifestyle or mindset for me. So, and yeah, like, like it's just insane to think about how much money is involved in what's going on and how people aren't able to kind of like sit themselves down and realize that this is an opportunity that's not going to be there forever like make the best of it, make, make itself, make itself last the longest. And the only way you can do that is really perform and, and put yourself in a professional matter that will allow people to kind of see that you're doing your best to help a team win. Yeah. And that's really what it is. Like, like granted, like pros always talk about like, Oh, they like not playing to win is ridiculous. And like, we want to play to win and so on and so forth. But like, that's just more than playing the game. Like there's so much that goes into winning. That's just beyond what players think it is nowadays. And I feel like that's, that's probably the hardest thing, especially with like the kind of what we explained earlier, but how the fact that you're not really necessarily choosing who you're playing with anymore in some cases, Yeah. like there's some teams that are doing that. And I feel like that's a big benefit to a team, but still like there's going to be times where that's not the case. And those teams need to be able, those players need to be able to realize that this is their, this is their chance to prove themselves out and really kind of flourish as a team. And we saw some teams like, like for example, Paris, I don't know exactly like how their roster was built early in the year, but Paris had some ups and downs this year. Yeah. They like probably more downs than ups, but the ups they had, they've shown some possibilities and strengths to compete at a high level. And who knows what was going on behind the scenes, who was really involved in making that happen in the best way possible. But like, those are examples that like skill and like what you think as a team, that's the best team software. It's not always going to be a team that's going to win these events. No, I, I think Paris makes a great case for it as well, because 
before we switch to the online format, they're actually having a really good kind of run of events for a team that nobody, I don't think I saw any of them, power rankings, all 12. All 12 before we saw them play. Um, and from what I understand of the internals of that team, and I don't know too much, uh, the, the team actually just got along really well and just grinded. You know, the losses were taken hard, but they weren't taken toxically. Um, right. So people would be able to move forward and get their mistakes out. And and like you said, you know, that it, it's almost like a team should be greater than some of its parts, right? It's all great having these big names. It's all great having these superstar players. But if these superstar players are assholes, then you aren't gonna you aren't gonna get anywhere. And the problem is, it, it is still true. And I think one of the things I've been speaking about recently is that there are some subsets of the player base at the moment, like either the the super the super new players maybe get an ego very very quickly and a lot of money so they've never known that struggle back in the day of playing for very little or you know you've got players that have been around for so long they just kind of expect it you know they've been middle kind of middle base for most of their career but the way that the fan base works is that if you aren't if you are a pro player you do get more props than maybe you deserve sometimes because everyone's very nice to pros um, <laughs> and they don't they don't have a realistic expectation of their their wider view like you, like you said earlier right everybody plays to win but if you're being honest, like if I watch a team come third who were maybe top six, I'm like, oh, that's a bloody good result for you. Players on the team aren't happy. They're never going to be happy because they want to win. But you know objectively that that's, that's a really good result for them. And obviously players in a, in a professional aspect still haven't got to that part of it of, well, I need to look at this from a realistic point of view. Obviously you play to win, but that you are right. It comes into so much more aspects of attitude being on time and being a good teammate. You know, it sounds really stupid, right? Like, oh, you've got to be on time and make sure you're friends with them. It's like, no, you've got to work with these people day in and day out because if you don't, right, your results are going to suffer and people won't want to work you. It's getting round more and more, right? I think you are right when you said, you know, you won't have a job next year in terms of like to these players with bad attitudes. People are getting found out. And if you're one of these players who a franchise is going to invest a non-insignificant amount of time and money on, why take the risk on a player who may, you know, shit on you from a height? And it, and it's it's not only that; it's just that player that's not being there attitude wise or timing wise. Can we explain? Is is not only making himself worse or his team, but he's making his teammates worse. Like that's just really the issue. Is it? We're not in a place nowadays where, like back in the day, for the example you gave, where we can just replace players left and right, yes. and that's for better or for worse in some cases. Like as much as like. Like the player stability and everything needs to be had. I'm, there's no disagreeing there. But if a player isn't doing what he should be doing in his duties, like like that player should just not be in this business. Yeah. And and that's really something that again, like I feel like it's going to be put to light more so in the coming times. And especially now that like like the world's kind of like in a weird place oh, uh, yeah. financially, like people are going to be a lot more worried about what they do with that money and invest in their players. So I feel like more so. There's going to be very few players that see this kind of like that what you're talking about, like the props nonstop yeah. and really kind of have that opportunity to have an ego based on the community. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll see exactly how that kind of goes through the coming years. Cause I mean, now we're switching to four on four. So that's going to weed out some of the players. Um, we'll see what teams I, I, I know there's a few roster have been announced um, so far. I feel like some of those decisions have been mostly good, um, but it's still scary. Like there's some, like to me, the Seattle team is probably the one team that like scares me the most from an attitude standpoint. Like, like we got Pristini, Gunless, Octane, and Looney, which arguably can all be hotheads. Um, and all like like Gunless last year had issues with his team from a like emotional standpoint yeah. and like like will to compete. Uh, Preston's always kind of been this guy who's like who's gonna show up and play, and then somehow sometimes that's emotional stuff. 
Looney's always been this guy who's like, I mean, to me is one of the most talented players from an in like a intellectual standpoint, um, but has had his issues with communication with his teammates. And then Octane, who's kind of like the top dog in that, on that Seattle roster who had issues with their roster last year. And from my understanding, I don't know exactly if that's true or not, but was kind of the culprit of why there were so many roster changes last year with that team. So like, those are the things to be like, I'm just taking Seattle as an example. I'm not pointing fingers. <laughs> I feel like that's, that's, a, that's obviously it's a roster with a lot of potential, yeah. but like if we're talking about attitude and like how that kind of that different aspect of what playing video games for a living is pro call of duty or pro esports is like, that's a, that's a huge risk in some, uh-huh. in some capacity. And who is there to sit him down and like have a discussion with him and, and help them kind of get through those, those hardships. Cause every team goes through that. Like, like this is one thing you ever needs to understand. Like our team, like what we, we've been in place outside top three or top four or whatever after the, like the LA event yeah. after we won, but we still went through our times where we're like, we're questioning what we're doing. We're, we're not feeling it. Like we, people are kind of arguing about st- stupid shit. Um, but we're still like every day we show up and we're like, like yesterday's arguments we'll talk about them and we'll get through them. And we don't like, like, this is a working environment. Like we're not going to hold grudges or be mad at each other about shit. We talked about, like we grow from those things and we don't just let them be like, Oh, we need to drop that guy. Cause he called me out yesterday. Like, no, like it's part of the job to take some of that shit. And like, like people need to stop being so freaking sissies, I guess you can say <laughs> like people are soft these days, man. And that, that to me is just like something with the world in general that people just need to kind of get through and like, understand that like the, the greatest things that are built come with hardships and if you can't get through those things then you're just never going to succeed on a consistent level and i mean again i can't put enough emphasis on how to me that was so important in our success down the down the stretch and winning champs and and to me that's probably one of phases downfalls it's like like phase was probably the best team in the game this year along with us closely but i'd say like if we played 100 times it would have been pretty close like regardless yeah. if which team would have won but I felt like they didn't go through those kind of like down times during the year. Like granted, they didn't win every event they played in, but they came really close every time. And they also had better records against our, the better teams, which was us in Chicago. Uh, but when they lost the winner's final on that last weekend, I felt like we already, we already had one chance after beating them on that winner's final because that was the kind of shit that they didn't been through before. So, so it's just so to speak. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I fully get it. Like, I think... For me on my part, right, there is this thing in the Call of Duty community, and it, and it has always been a thing, but not, maybe more now than ever, is that players want to be treated as professionals, but don't conduct themselves as professionals <laughs> all the time. Like, all the time. And don't get me wrong, I'm not just talking about the Twitter aspect of it. Like, and don't get me wrong, right, this is, this is I think, a fundamental problem with, with Call of Duty, and, it, and it's nobody's fault, right? When you've got bringing in 18-year-olds who may have never had a normal job, who've never had to have an actual boss, who have just been playing in the amateur bracket, which is basically horrifically toxic at times, right? And then you go into the big leagues, and like I said before, everyone gives you props. It can be difficult to know how to conduct yourself properly in that environment with, you know, your social medias, just to, you know, how do I do this as a brand? How do I spend my money wisely? How do I, you know, work in this environment now where it has got what a lot of players like to call suits who are, you know, saying, like, we need to do X, Y, and Z. And, the, and you know, the players are like, well, you're not on, you're not playing with me. You're not fucking holding the cut. I'm doing it. I'm the one who, who, is, who is a face. And for a lot of the time, they don't, and it's like I said, it's not their fault. They don't have the, the tools necessary to survive in that kind of environment and prosper because it does come with time. And for the last... 
decade of Call of Duty. It's only probably been the last two years, Ray, where anybody who's been around for these players to actually give a shit about. Like, they've never had managers really worth the salt. There's been a handful of coaches over the last decade who people wouldn't quite heavily spit on, right? There's been barely, you know, we've had the most shadiest orgs in the world. We've had jokes of organizations everywhere and, and crap tournaments. You know, now we finally get to this stage. People are not conducting themselves professional. And I'm like, well, I'm not really surprised. We've got a bunch of children running around most of the time. We've got to do what the hell they want for the last eight years. You know, and right. if you come in as a new player, you learn from them. And and I've, I feel like that's that's probably the biggest, uh, actually the biggest upside of what franchise is going to do for the players in the community for the coming years is that like there's a large amount of people behind what's going on now. And there's a lot more resources and involvement and not just how they compete and management, but also in like, for example, sports psychologists and people that are there to teach them how to handle socials and people that are help these players grow from a different perspective, not just as competitors. And, and like, it's going to take time, granted, like we're not going to see a, a, just a complete, again, I, I found it kind of funny how people just thought franchising is going to change everything in like this, like, <laughs> hoped, sorry, that's we not, hoped. That yeah, that, that's <laughs> not, it's not that simple. Like granted, like all the top dog guys, all the top guys have been kind of at the forefront of what you just kind of described are still around. So like, granted, that's not just going to change right away. Although like most of the old guys that were kind of like in that toxicity realm, I've been getting better through the years. Right. So um, but yeah, no, I feel like, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm an organization that's hiring new players from the amateur scene, that's like the first thing I'm doing is sitting down and help them understand what's going to help them stay in this and really yeah. like, welcome to the big leagues. You made it, but like your job just really just started. Like you, you did everything you needed to do to put yourself in a situation, but now you have to do more. And that's really kind of the basis of like, what I, what I think most organizations need to start doing is really understand that molding these players from the playing standpoint, great. Like they're they're gonna get play with like for example, like like if we take our roster situation to start a year, like we had Illy, Shotzi, Hugh's been around for a few years, and then we had Crimson and Clayster, who's been kind of the vets. Um, and they're gonna help they're gonna help those players get molded as competitors, but like who's gonna help them understand the rest of the job and, and who's really gonna sit them down and help them understand like what what does what goes into socials, how do you prosper in interviews, like what is all this other stuff that's gonna help you grow as a player and help the organization uh make your salary work well basically um because winning is one thing but how you comport yourself when you win is probably the most important thing which is crazy to think about because winning without really getting everything else done means that all the sponsors and all people that are investing in you aren't really getting the return sure you want they you see their logo and whatever but like this the videos you do content about all that stuff is really what makes it come to life um so yeah it's, it's crazy like we were lucky again clay and Krim are like Granted, Crim's had his his ways in the past with social, and <laughs> but he's like he takes it in the, he's light, he's lighter, he's like like he's serious but not like super serious. Yeah. Um, and he's good with interviews. Like he'll always kind of he has that personality that's kind of like people have come to accept and whatnot. They've um, had to learn that though, right? That, go yeah, back exactly. Crim, yeah, they've always been not that, way. that no, polished oh, way back, right? No, not at all. And but that's the thing, right? Like like coming like having young players come into that sense, like they'll ask, like they've asked me, they've asked Crim, they've asked Clay a, a lot of times this year. Like, oh, should I tweet this? Like, should I do these things? Like, and it's like having that guidance and having people that are able to kind of help these players comport yeah. themselves as professionals and growing in that realm to me is like super important. And like, not every team has that right now. I hope that every team can get do not. <laughs> and, and I hope teams understand that like, like it's important to have those things. Yeah. Um, and that's also like how you build a roster. Like, I mean, winning is one thing, obviously, like every team's goal should be to win. Like, I'm not saying that's not yeah. the case. But there's a lot of intangibles that kind of come along with that. And again, like winning is part of the job, but doing what you can with winning is also just as important. So 
it's it's crazy to think about how things are going to change. Like I, in my head, like I think this is exciting because we're going to see a lot more cool things happen through the next years. Um, and but a lot of it kind of depends on how teams go about how they build the rosters and how they can comport themselves. And and we have an opportunity to grow. Like there's there's so many. I mean, Call of Duty's always been about kind of growing. Uh, we there's still like a large part of the community that we haven't really tapped. Um, granted, we're still like I mean, competitive esports well, like still point zero whatever percent. Yeah. Play Call of Duty, which is crazy. So like, there's so much there's so much potential growth that could go into it. And I feel like every little bit of things that we can do to become more professional and and showcase how good our players are compared to the rest of the world and people that play Call of Duty is going to help us as people personality even you as a personality community like people kind of get more opportunities in the business and help us grow as a whole which is obviously exciting no no i i fully agree and i think um like and and i try and i'm trying this new interesting thing actually to be less negative about some of the franchises so i don't name them by names but i have been a very vocal um or opinionated person on some of the things some of the franchises have done this no. year because <laughs> because here's the thing right i've always had high standards in regards to that like I've always thought, you know, for me, if we are investing in this environment or doing something like, and here's an example I used earlier, right? And I don't mean this in, in, a, in a bad way. Your players, you know, players are assets. If you are paying someone, for example, 200,000 a year, and you aren't trying to make them any better, you aren't getting anything out of them content wise, they're not helping to build your brand, right? If they're doing their own stuff all the time, why not have that little bit extra investment to use that as much? Because... Here's the thing. Only one team out of 12 can win per year. And they're all trying to do it. They're all trying to remain ultra competitive. But winning isn't the only thing that ever builds fans, right? You don't have to win to build fans. And something that the the community still, I don't think, has really got through their mind here is that some of these franchises aren't fully about the love of Call of Duty. They are investments. They are looking to build a fan base because they think it's going to go up, right? And like I said, there are exceptions. I think Empire and the Huntsman and, and possibly Phaser are one of them where they are looking to see this as an investment for the future and not because they love Call of Duty. Some of the franchises had already bought in without watching Call of Duty, right? They didn't know how to watch the game. And I know that happened. I had that conversation, right? So if you are looking at it from that perspective, that gives me even less reason why you shouldn't be doing the very basics to build a brand. Rather than just hire five players who, let's face it, if, you, if you're a business owner, you probably don't give a shit. They're just numbers to you. And if you're a player, you could just be one of these players where either you like the organization because they treat you well, or you know you're going somewhere else next year, right? So if you're not trying to get the most out of what is essentially a business relationship, what are you doing? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I haven't heard some of the things you've heard, and I'd rather not <laughs> go into depth with them because that's not my no, space no, no. to speak. It's fair. It's uh, but, but like, really, from the again, like, we can just come back to the base of it. That the player standpoint, like, like people have to understand that there's we are at a point in time where there's probably the least amount of like quote unquote jobs available that we've ever had. Yeah. Um, just in the basis of like because players aren't really in control of what goes on anymore, and I feel like. Like not players shouldn't fear for their jobs, but they should want to work for their jobs more so now than ever. Um, and that's again, like an attitude standpoint is so important. I can't even vote. Like as a GM, this is me speaking to the amateur community. Like you want to make it to the bigs, you show showcase that you have what it takes on the playing standpoint, but more importantly, also from an attitude standpoint, your ability to work with others and your ability to work with social and your ability to work with sponsors 
like anything you can showcase that'll give a person like even I might even get you a sub role, even if you're not the best amateur player out there. And who knows that sub role turns into an opportunity if one player gets hurt or or doesn't can't play anymore or just isn't good. And that gives you the opportunity to kind of grow into something and give you like the goal is to give yourself an opportunity to get to the bigs, right? Like that's yeah. if I'm an ad player these days, that's all I'm doing. Like I'm like granted, I'm I'm trying to go do the right things as an am and not like sketch on people or or I'm trying to showcase that I have what it takes, not only on the playing front, but everything else. Um, and the only way to do that is really just comport yourself every day as a professional and really showcase that you're different than what the perceived player base of Call of Duty is, I guess you can say. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest thing that an amateur can stand out nowadays? Just getting out of challenges is not easy. We know this. Obviously, this year it's harder than usual, but hopefully in future seasons it gets a little bit easier and with expansion fingers crossed you know it gets even easier for people to start kind of looking through the amateur thing here but you know you say you're speaking to the amateur players but what do you think sets them apart how do you how do you show to a gm such as yourself i am your next big thing or i am a sub role or i deserve a shot in a franchise worth a considerable amount of money so this year, as I went this year, my the biggest players that I got in mind from possibly future were to look at their streams and when they're competing in challenger leagues or events. So like, for example, like Paris, I stream a lot. There's other players that stream a lot of their contenders, tournaments, where you want to call them, um, events. And then they have their camera. I see their faces. I see how they speak. I see how they act, comport themselves during a match. And that to me tells me most of everything I need to know about them as players. Like I'll see like skill level granted, like isn't always the most important thing when I look at them. But to me, it's like communication standpoint, how they're able to handle things, how they're talking between games. Um, are they raging? Are they losing their crap? Are they visually you can see emotionally? They're not, they're not in the right mindset. Um, there's a few teams this year that I watched that like, you could just tell like, like these guys just aren't ready to play at the highest level, even though they're kind of winning these contenders events. Like the kind of shit they're doing just wouldn't transfer well into a professional scene. Yeah. Um, and those are things that, like to me, like every moment you're on camera or you're streaming to me is important. Like if you're like, even if like, like next year, let's say we have a good rank playlist or whatever. Um, and you're, you want to stream that every day and showcase your skill, like in your talents. Like, I, I don't know exactly how a BZ and Simp came along, but like, I remember playing World War II matches against them on the league play. Cause I played it a ton cause I loved it and they were great players and you could showcase. I don't know exactly if they're streaming, but like let's say at the time they were streaming and I see them as players, I can see how good they are as players. And I can see if they have potential to develop themselves as professionals. So like the number one thing I'd say is if you're going to play these contenders for them don't just play them to win it. That's like winning it is great. But like at the end of the day, like I can't tell you, I'm, I'm, I can't actually name all the players that won contenders event this year. Yeah. I can only tell you the ones that I watched stream while they were winning these events and how well they comport themselves, which is maybe like three or four guys tops. Um, so that to me is like, if I'm an amateur player, it's not about grinding PCLs anymore. Like back in the day, it's not about going through the open bracket at an event. It's really about comporting yourself and, and showing, showcasing that you have the skill, but don't, not only do you have the skill, but the attitude yeah. and the, the mentality to play at a high level. No, I think, I think all of that's good advice, right? It's all, it's all one of the things where you have to, to kind of keep in mind as an amateur player, because I think it's very easy for those players to fall into the mindset of everybody kind of messing about down there, right? There's people who are almost like like they're too cool to pretend that they're competing for a job. And that's what it is. It is. You are competing for a job. You are not, you know, just competing for win. You are not just, you know, if I'm the best, I'll get chosen like by some holy light. These people are considering you 
for a job to work with them in their organization and pay you a very good amount of money, right? You don't want to think, think of it like, sorry to cut you off, but like think of it like, like um, a lot of people know football and whatnot and they have like college and then they have a combine in between the, yeah. like to get to the draft and whatnot. Like think of contenders as just like a nonstop combine that's happening through the whole year. And that's like the only way that GMs and other coaches that are not players that get to see you compete on that level that makes that that's basically the highest level of competition that is in the pro league. Yeah. And that's the best way possible for them to really see you. And that's the, to me, that's the mindset that every player should be having playing contenders. And like you said, they are very much competing for jobs. Like granted, you want to win the money that's available in contenders, but the ultimate goal is not to just stay in contenders just to get to that next level. Yeah. Right. So and there has to be a really certain weird. amount of being selfish as well. And I don't mean playing for KD ratio. I don't mean like no. trying to look as the best player, but bearing in mind, right. Whatever, amateur team you are currently in you are not playing with that team when you're going to the pros you may not ever play with those players again in some cases right but so but but you should treat it as you are yeah like it's, if you want if you want to showcase and separate yourself from the rest of the players and the only way to do so attitude wise is to prove out that you are able to willing with people to work or work with people in any capacity regardless if it is to kind of eventually exit out that that kind of roster and whatnot yeah, no, 100%. Um, let's change tact here a little bit, uh, Ray, because we've spoken about uh, players for quite a long time, and while I've been enjoying it, I've still got, I've still got loads of things to ask you. Um, when you were playing before, what are probably the biggest differences from... Because obviously you, had, you went to Sledgehammer, and we will get to that at some point, but when you were playing back in the day, and obviously you've stepped back into the esports world now and are very much integrated back in... What were some of the big, like, oh, wow moments? I kind of uh, liken it to those things, like, when people ask people who are in prisons, like, oh, what was different when you got out? When you came back in, what was different in the Call of Duty scene? Um, from a playing standpoint, and, like, the practice element honestly yeah. didn't change that much. A lot of the players, that, like, I mean, obviously, playing against and with Clay and playing against Krim back in the day, like, like I kind of knew how to comport themselves in, in practice and, like, the, the mentality and how to go about doing their best to get better every day hasn't really changed i'd say um obviously the tournament the tournament landscape and how you go about preparing for an event has changed a little bit um and obviously this year we had to kind of switch our mindset from playing for land events to then playing for online events and then possibly looking at are we going to play like there was still a kind of potential talk of like maybe the last events of the year are going to be back to land if covid isn't too bad and then that never happened so we were like anyways there's just a lot of mindset change that kind of went through the year but like it's kind of crazy like from a, from the standpoint of like how things went when i competed it hasn't really changed that much uh, i'd say the thing that changed the most is really the fact that you don't scrim non-stop during a day you, yeah there's like two or three scrim schedule slots and that's about it and you play through that and then you're then you have some time to yourself which is something <laughs> i would love when i competed my i can tell you right now my career would have lasted a lot longer if that was the case it's but, a big uh, attitude switch actually oh, i think it, it is I, I mean i think it's great like like and it's really the basis of like Back in the day, it was the mentality of like, if you, Bryce, have a team and me, Rambo, have a team, if my team's playing 10 hours a day and you're playing six hours a day, we're going to be better than you, period. Yeah. I don't care how good you are. It's just, that's the basis of it, especially early in the season. But now it's the case of like, like, okay, well, like granted, we're going to play on our own time, but like as a team, we're really using these hours to build ourselves. And then the rest of these hours are built to use the players have that advantage or can take that advantage of getting better as individuals and whatnot. Um, and that obviously is like something that like some players took to heart and really built on and some didn't. And like, I'll take clay, for example, like clay is a veteran in the scene, awesome player. Can't say good enough things about clay. And then like through the mid, I'd say through the mid part of the season, 
he probably wasn't putting as much time individually because he felt like it was more useful for him to use his free time to get his mind off things. And really like, like everyone goes through stuff in their personal life and everyone's going through things and everyone wants to see things differently. And that was better for him than investing all the time in the game. But when it came time crunch time at the end of the year where he felt like, like my play isn't as good as it can be, he understood that himself. And we once like me or anyone in the management never once had to tell players that like they understood that themselves. Krim, for example, was streaming Verdansk, the war zone for a majority of like the first half of the season. And then his stats and his personal play, he felt wasn't really up to par. He stopped playing that completely on his own accord. Like we never once said, don't do this. He was like, I don't feel like I'm competing at my highest level because I'm putting too much time into this and not enough time into this. And like, that's the kind of mindset and individual attitudes that like, like that stuff hasn't changed. And that was the same when I played and that's the same it is now. Um, and just like, that's, that's awesome to have players like that on the team. I'm, I'm sure it's not the same for every team. <laughs> I, I, mean, well, I was going to, I was going to interrupt you there because I feel like with those examples you gave, that is obvious. I, I think that's rarer than, than it may be common um, yeah, because play, to have players to have honest perspective of their own, abilities and what they need to, to to move forward i don't think is the most common thing in the league and obviously back in the day you know it, it was now now looking back on it i think it was a kind of a toxic atmosphere because if like you said you know if if your teammate didn't want to play especially running up to champs like 16 hours a day or something ridiculous yeah. <laughs> of just shit scrims and stuff that people wouldn't take in all the series like you, you very rarely learn anything it was more just muscle memory and just grinding like people would go ah, oh, just grind like it's an rpg and i'll get better right like oh i'll get plus one to movement mechanics bullshit doesn't it means nothing right and obviously this is a way healthier way of doing things and the fact that like players have structure they know what they're doing coming into the day and who they're playing and what the pl rough plan is they know they can watch VODs if they need to, and they know what they need to work on. Whereas before, it was kind of like, oh, shit, who do we play? I'll just play these for the entire map set, and then get another one for the entire map set. Or, I don't like the host, chalk this one, I'll get another one after dinner. Um, which, you know, and like I said, looking back, that was a horrifically toxic way to do it. You know, people burn out. Yeah, things are a lot more, I guess, scheduled. There's like an actual schedule, schedule to your day now. Back in yeah. the day, it wasn't really that. It was like, Wake up oh, we're done screaming these guys. Oh, who who wants to play us now? And then another team that's obviously grinding plays and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how things have changed a little bit on that realm. Um, another thing I'd say is the obviously the managerial part of like coaching and having players that are having people that are involved with the players that aren't players. Obviously, has changed how the dynamic on how things work. Um, having the the kind of the, the men outside the game, like obviously a lot of the coaches, most, I mean, all the coaches really were in podcasts or all the teams were screaming. So having the perspective on getting that info, that knowledge about the game that you didn't really have firsthand before, uh, I feel like made a big difference in how the game was learned and how you saw certain teams kind of take advantage of that in the right way and some didn't. Um, I feel like it, it's weird because like part of me wants to feel like like podcaster because for those who don't understand, like as coaches, we can see the mini map. So we can basically see everything that's happening. We're not telling our players what's going on, obviously, because we want them to learn. But like we, if they have a question on like, oh, where'd that player spawn while I moved here, that we could answer that to them and, and Gyazo and like show them exactly what happened. So that to me is like two things. It can increase the skill gap or it can lessen it. And I feel like for the most part, depending on the game, it can lessen it um, because of the fact that certain players didn't really uh, were good at understanding those things and it took them a long time to do so. Um, and on the opposite side, obviously, if a, if a coach is is telling exactly what's going on to all his players while they're playing, which apparently has happened this year, certain certain scrims, some coaches were like, "Oh, there's guys sneaking, whatever." Like you should react to this this way mid scrim. You're like, "Wait, what? How do you know it was there?" <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's the dynamic on certain things has changed. But it's honestly like 
I'd say it's like 90% the same when I competed, just from a playing standpoint. Obviously, everything around it has changed, but it really, it, it's been interesting to see how this year has went. And I think next year will be a little different on that, on that realm too. So we'll see what goes. Um, I'm excited for it, obviously. So. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think, I think the, the Call of Duty just continue to get better in those regards, right? Infrastructure is a major thing and we are building a better one than we've ever had before. Um, speaking of this year though, the format, obviously it's different to anything Call of Duty's done before. It is a year long league champs is playoffs essentially now. Um, did you see any like kind of major difference mentality wise during the year or was it a different environment for you? Like, cause obviously you're, you, you know, when you competed, you're back in the days of there's just all these big events every like month or two months or wherever it was. Yeah. I'll be honest. I kind of missed that. Um, this is, I mean, this yeah, is my me opinion. My, this is my own opinion. This is not empire or envy or anybody related. Like there's a disclaimer up above my head that says, this is my <laughs> opinion. Uh, really like I, I much prefer the times where we had, the open events where everyone can kind of compete. Everyone has a chance to win more, more or less. Obviously the pro teams are kind of have a stepping stone to that, to winning a, a tournament because they're already established, but having those AM teams, having a chance to play the pro teams to me is a thing that I, that I miss terribly now. Um, granted, like the franchising doesn't really allow us to do that. Um, and it would look terrible if like, let's say a contender teams came in and like kicked a the Dallas empire's ass in the tournament. And you're like, why are these guys not pros? And these guys are pros. Like yeah. obviously, there's reasons to like why this is the way it is. And, and I think there's a lot of good things about it, but there's obviously things that I personally miss. Um, and about the format specifically, I didn't think it was that bad. I just wish there wasn't like the whole bi-week thing where like, like at least like for the original schedule, there was supposed to be basically a tournament every two or three weeks. Yeah. Uh, but your team only competes in X amount while like, and the, the way the, the schedule was built is like, I don't show up to this event, so these other three teams, and there's only eight teams out of 12 that compete. That I personally didn't, didn't really like. I, I think that doesn't, like, for Call of Duty, like, I mean, for esports in general, like, it's not like I, my body needs rest. Like, sure, my mind could use rest, but, like, if you're only making me compete, like, let's say there's one event a month. Like, that to me is plenty of time to kind of settle down, recoup after an event, like, take a week off or whatever, and then get back into the grind and really understand what went right or what went wrong and then get better for the next event. Um, and, and it's also the basis of like, there's tournaments where certain teams like quote unquote got free wins. I'm not going to say free, but like, like for example, like the Paris event we played, we played Paris in the final, which arguably one of the bottom tier teams of the, of, and they had a really good run that tournament, but it's like in the finals, like they didn't stand a chance. Like we were clearly like a stepping above there were on the, on the playing front. And that ended up being because they beat another team that was supposed to do better at the time but also FaZe and Chicago were in that event. So like, if you look at the top three teams this year, like if, if only one team of these three showed up, I think every time that team has won or the team in that those three teams won. So like, that's a thing that I personally hope that doesn't stay for next year. I, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to look. Um, but yeah, no, like the, the frequency of events, um, the lack of like openness and the mixture between the AMs and like, yeah, obviously the, the fact that every team is probably the things that I miss the most, but like, like, I feel like what we had this year was pretty good, especially considering how COVID happened and how we changed online. Like, I think they did a really good job of like recuperating what we could have and making something of the rest of the season. Um, so I, I was excited. I mean, I hopefully next year, hopefully towards the end of next year, we don't have to deal with these things anymore and we can just go to land again. Um, that'd be great. But it's, yeah, fingers crossed. Exactly. It's, a, it's a really interesting thing. But I think most people were not happy with the home stands for that reason, but the, the truth is, obviously, you know, if the league does expand uh, after this year, which obviously, you know, I, I believe has been in some of the people have been hyper, you know, thoretically trying to figure it out, whether it's four, eight or whatever amount of teams. And 
you know, how do we change the format? Do we, does it, you know, fingers crossed, split into two leagues, you know, like, uh, like the NFL does? Does it split further? Does it, do we try to get a different format going forward? How do we keep it entertaining for the people watching at home? Because you are right. One of the downfalls of this one is if you win a homestand, but there isn't your chief rivals there, not only do you not get the chance to play them and maybe they have a harder tournament. And we all know tournaments are good practice. Always are. You can't replicate a tournament environment. Um, but also, you know, is it is it something you're not going to, you know, feel fully confident about? A win is a win, but you'd always want to beat the best to, to get that win. Exactly. Like being the best to win a tournament is what's the most important thing. Like that's, and that's why I felt like so good about us winning champs because we did beat FaZe twice in two days to win that tournament. And we, there's like no excuses beyond anything else. Obviously the whole online thing, but like, that's just what it is. Um, but yeah, like I'd also another thing that I, that I wish there was more of, especially for the home, the home stands, like, you really don't play that much like because there's a lack of but it's like crazy right like i win like was it four matches to win a tournament like that's kind of it's weird it's just like obviously it's different and like it makes every match like work that much more like on the the meaning front but still it's just kind of wonky that like i can get through an event so quickly and like who knows maybe one team just gets hot and while the other teams are kind of having lackluster weekend and that's but is that is that because of the history of college because i mean like obviously from back in the day and from previous events especially when we had the open right we had some pro teams go through open and you'd be sitting there playing for like three days solid wondering whether or not you can get a snack quick enough to get for your next match but i mean it's like an adjustment in the terms of like obviously call of duty has evolved now to have less games on a weekend but yeah the other way we had it also wasn't very good either right there you has to be middle ground <laughs> yeah. let's put it this way i'm not saying that was the best thing because i lived through some of those experiences <laughs> where you play for like literally nine hours you're sitting in a chair and you don't have time to do anything in between like they give you a bathroom break between every two or three matches yeah um but I, f I i just feel like there's more work to like and also from a content standpoint like there's just more to it for for me being into it as a player and also as a as a person who's watching a person being involved in it if the if i can see the players i want to see play more often right like it's just the basis of like and also it gives them more chance to play against the better teams like yeah. and that was the issue really in my opinion was like the way to like there's 18 showing up to an event the way the pools were divided weren't always considering fair because the schedule was preset for the whole year and then you don't know who the teams are going to be the good teams yeah. towards the end of the year right um and that's that like that's just the way it is um so i feel like there's the structure of what it is like seeding should be more um the like to give you the best possible final every time yeah like there was times where you could clearly see like one team coming out of this bracket was obviously gonna be better than this team kind of bracket so whoever makes it out here is probably gonna win kind of thing um and that to me is like not always the best thing um and i i kind of wish that's one reason why i wish there was more matches it it helps you weed out more so than not the team that really deserves to be on top come yeah. out on top yeah i also think it allows people to watch teams maybe they wouldn't normally watch because with more games going on, you get a chance to see players. Maybe you who don't get the spotlight as much as some others, right? It's very easy in Call of Duty to only look at certain teams and certain players because, let's face it, it's, it's the same with YouTube videos, right? If I made a video about Scump, it'd do much better than if I made one about anybody on the bottom three teams this year. It just, unless right. it was controversial, right? It, it just, it works that way. And you need to have some balance to get these these players a little bit more recognition. But, I'm going to change tangent again here um, to another part of your career because you sort of left Call of Duty Esports, but not really, um, to go work with Sledgehammer. Um, obviously yeah. a very big decision for you. Um, what kind of prompted to, to make that move? 
So we can talk about the timeline a little bit. So we played Call of Duty Championships, Ghosts. We got second at the biggest tournament of the year. Yep. A week and a half later, I found out, even before we played the PAX event, I found out from a person that was not on our team that I was going to be dropped for Parasite moving forward. Um, and then we went to PAX and I was like, well, that sucks. Like, we just got second to biggest tour in the year and I'm being dropped off my team again. So uh, obviously not pleasant. Um, at that point in time, it was probably the lowest point in my like career in esports, I guess you can say, yeah. because of the standpoint of like, I didn't have the will or really didn't really want to play for another team. Um, and I'd say it's about two weeks after that is when Jay Perrier, a person who works for a truck and Activision, contacted me about the possibility of like, hey, like there's possibly a chance that you could get into an opening to help like help make Call of Duty games. And I was like, that's cool. Like, I mean, I was 25 at the time, which is old in the Call of Duty community <laughs> at that time. I was probably like three or four years older than the next player playing, right? So, um, and, I, and I saw it as like, like I never really, I saw that as an opportunity to move forward in my career, like in games. Um, I didn't see it happening that early, but uh, I obviously at the time it was kind of the perfect timing for me in my personal life. So, um, so yeah, like I started talking to Michael Conjure at the time and, and uh, Mike Mejia and, and Brian Miggles, they're guys that work at Sledgehammer. They're like, we had a conversation on, on, on Discord and they're like, hey, yeah, like we're interested in having you come here. Funny story enough. So when Doc, Dr. Disrespect, for those who didn't know, worked at Sledgehammer Games yeah. at the time. Uh, so Dr. Disrespect, um, Greg Reisdorf, which was the uh, multiplayer lead designer for Advanced Warfare and Michael Condry, were all three at the Black Ops 2 COD Champs final. And I had a discussion with them while I was preparing for my winner's final match about <laughs> uh, what made Call of Duty great, like what kind of maps. And it was kind of crazy. I was like almost interviewing for a job that I didn't know was going to come like a few a year before. Um, so like they talked about how like that was really insightful for them and they want to have me over. So um, I went out to Sledgehammer for, it was supposed to be for four months. Well, basically four months before they ship is when I started. And it was like a trial period for me to like, do, am I going to like this? And am I going to be useful to them? Right. So it's two ways because obviously I didn't go to school to be do, to do game development and who knows my kind of use to them and if I even going to like it. So uh, the four months went by, I enjoyed it and they thought I was useful. So it and decided to just hire me on full time. And I did that for five and a half years. Uh, learned a lot about what happens behind the scenes and, and game development and uh, all the fun <laughs> stuff and the not so fun stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was really cool. And, and obviously like when I heard about franchising and, uh, Mike was the first person to reach out to me, Hastro, about like potentially coming back into the esports scene and, and see what I could do role wise. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was exciting. Like, obviously, I love competing, right? And yeah. game development was super fun to me. Um, I just felt like like I'm a super huge competitor. And when that opportunity came, I was like, yeah, it's kind of time to come back and 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 scratch that competitive itch again and see what I can do to help this organization build out. And also, like as much as it sucks, like half my like not half, but like some part of my decision was really based on also where I was living. Like the Bay area is awesome, but I have a, I have a fiance and we want to start a family and buy a house and like the Bay area is extremely expensive to live in. Um, so getting out of there was kind of like also part of the goal. So everything kind of matched up at the time to really kind of make the decision to come over it at the empire and do what I'm doing now. I don't, that makes a lot of sense. Cause it, for me, I was very curious about one aspect of that. Right? Like you went from, Call of Duty Esports, which is a volatile uh, industry for the most part, especially for players, it is not guaranteed that you will have a job in a year or even six months a lot of time. Into, or the next day. Or the next day. Or, or, uh, or, or literally 10 days after getting second in the biggest tour of the year. Yeah, I mean, you can't put I mean just to quickly touch on that, I felt like I helped, uh, you know, the Battle of the Blue. I was there, you know, uh, in the pre, at the pre-land, <laughs> obviously not playing, just sort of bumming around with TCM. Um, 
But that was a, it, was, it was kind of crazy to see that event as well because obviously I saw the prep work that went into it on the week up to uh, to that champs run. Um, and the worst part of that champs run, just so we're clear to get some history clear here, is obviously you guys Envy played TCM for a week before that event. And if I remember correctly, the map series count was actually slightly in favour of TCM, who crashed out like top 16. I don't remember. I, I honestly don't remember much of that kind of preparation <laughs> besides arguing with study nonstop. That's, that's yeah, what I remember that, from that. that. I remember that kickoff. I do remember that kickoff. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, that's crazy. But because I was curious about because were you like a, a little bit worried from going from working in game development which is a very a very reasonable career right it is a is a long-term thing to coming back into into the mixer into your old life was there any kind of like flashbacks going oh god is this the right thing to do for me professionally no like honestly from the structural standpoint and how franchising works and it's like I'm not like I'm not working on my because you kind of work for yourself when you're a professional player back yeah. in the day right like there's no the contracts or anything weren't really a thing. And then if you did have a contract, it didn't really mean much. Um, so it's a lot different now than it used to be. And obviously that's one of the reasons why I came back now, not earlier, if anything. So it, it doesn't feel anything like it used to. I obviously my security as a person, as a, as an individual within my role and my career feels more secure than it did when I competed and probably feels just as secure as it did working in game development. So like, I'm not, that's not something that I even thought about really coming back. It obviously is something I had to look at, but it's like, it was never a fear of mine, I guess you can say. So, yeah, no, I, I don't, I never, it never even crossed my mind until you said something. <laughs> I got to worry about it. No, I'm kidding. Well, I, I'm guessing it helped, right? Because it was Stro, right? Like, I feel like if, yeah, if you've been approached by somebody you didn't know and you went to work for somebody without that, le, le, like, what they like to call legacy teams, right? There are only a right. few of them in the franchises who have that history. And obviously you, you have a great relationship with Mike um so i'm guessing that probably played a factor right like oh well actually this is somewhere i would want to work with again because you know you lived in the team envious house you, you saw mike basically every day and now it's a chance to go back to that working relationship yeah no no doubt i mean there's like maybe i'd say there, i mean obviously working for hector would have been kind of that similar feel yeah but like just working that kind of environment where i've i've known i like i know the guys that are hiring me personally obviously makes a huge difference and Mike obviously a great person and I love hanging out with him and, and doing things made that thing a lot of, made the decision a lot easier to kind of come out um and he he's always taking Mary taking care of me even as a player like Brandon like back in the day like could have defended me as a player a little more if you asked me but like now I'm just messing but it's really to that point like it, it's really to that basis that like I feel like it's so different now from a structural standpoint that it was back then and it does like it never really crossed my mind to to have a fear of that or the mindset of what your day-to-day -day job is like kind of that involvement um i feel like i mean again i feel like the coaching slash gm role is probably perfect for me as a, as a as a person where i stand and what i did as a player um and i have no fear like even let's say for whatever reason at some point things didn't work out with this organization like i don't fear that i would have an opportunity elsewhere um, and I feel like I've kind of grown myself as a person. I, I'm a person of multiple skills. Like I could go bowl for a living, you know, I could do something. Yeah, we haven't really <laughs> spoken about that. It's annoying to have so much talent in one person. Um, do you think like, so here's, here's the thing for me, right? Is obviously you were a professional player and one of the routes a lot of people take now is professional player into coach or GM or whatever. But you went obviously to go basically do something else. Do you think that added to you and what you can take away from working in games development into being a better GM slash coach? Because there are very few, if anybody, I'm trying to think of anybody who has a 
relatable career path to you currently working. Not. Yeah, exactly, right? You have <laughs> a unique skill set where, yes, ex-pro player, there are plenty of them coaching and doing GM roles now, but there aren't very many that have worked in games development for the last five years. Right. So the one thing I will say is that players and people who play the game uh, at, a, at a level we do as players probably know more about the game like on a fine-tuning level than this game actually game developers do and this isn't a bash at game developers it's just like you spend your time more so creating the experience and you create the kind of like a landscape that players get to kind of go build and do their things and figure things out and they end up kind of playing the game obviously a lot more than you do as much as people think that game developers play the game all day every day they don't like you gotta you spend more of your time making the game and making creating the experience uh, more so than testing and whatnot. There's people that are like, there's actual quality assurance testers that play the game a lot more than developers to help them figure out what their issues are, what could be a little better. And, and, and then they have designers within the game. Like, sure, we play the, what we're making every day a little bit, but it's not to a point where like people see the final, like players that play the final product at the level they do, obviously is a lot different. Um, so as far as like taking things that I've learned from like inside, like game development and actually utilizing that in coaching, nothing. Like there's, wow, seriously, okay. <laughs> there's seriously nothing that I've learned from like how games, like how games works per se, that I didn't know as a player beforehand, or that wasn't told to me by a game developer beforehand that I found out when I went into game development. The things that I did learn in game development that have helped me are more so the working communication, like the communication aspect, working relationships, and really just understanding of like how to kind of comport yourself in a, in a kind of a nine to five job. And that to me are values, like we said, like granted, I've worked before. Like, it's not like I, I, I worked at the superstores. I did like some small stuff on the side. I worked a lot of part-time jobs before I competed, but never to the extent of like really kind of like getting that full feel of like, this is what I'm doing for a living kind of job. Um, and obviously that changed me as a person. Like there's a lot of things I learned. Um, and I, like, I learned how to handle certain politics. I learned how to handle certain people's personalities. Yeah having certain back and forth with people that are not easy to get to or people that are even easier to get to. Um, and I feel like a lot of that back and forth kind of just, again, changed me as a person and really helped me grow uh, on different levels that have helped me tremendously. I mean, tremendously in coaching this year. <laughs> I can't emphasize that's, that enough. That, that's like, good. like let, let's just say, let's say I paused when I got dropped from, from my ghost team two weeks after Yeah, I didn't do anything. And then I came back to coaching with that same kind of mindset. Yeah. Forget it. I would have been in and out <laughs> like this, this year with Crim and Clay, like hundred percent. And even Clay was like telling me like when I first, like after a month after I joined the team was like, tell me like, like we had a kind of just a, not a heart to heart, but like a conversation just students like, Dude, you, I can't express how worried I was when, when you joined the team. Like, I can't express how worried enough I was when you joined the team that I thought you were going to be the same person back when you played. And I was like, no, I understand that. That's like, that would have been really hard to work with. Yeah, it, wouldn't, it probably would have uh, made things a little bit different in the Empire. Um, but kind of following on from that then, you know, the, let's talk about the other way around, right? You said you take nothing towards head coaching. When you first went into game development, were there things you felt like you had to explain to developers that they may not have understood beforehand uh i mean at a high like if we're talking like super fine level and that's where yeah. like i came in that's really where they felt like i molded and obviously that's where i felt like at my work as as a game developer is really kind of like understanding things to a t where again not a lot of game developers know those things coming from the like the inside right and that's really where my strengths were as the game designer was really kind of helping kind of balance, like helping drive balancing elements, making sure that like perks and all these things kind of mold together in the right ways. 
like what creative ideas that actually work, what creative ideas that actually don't work. Like those are the things that really help them use me to my fullest extent, right? Like get everything they could out of me. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of stuff like I had to explain to people, like, <laughs> like obviously like certain things that we saw as players that like, and even just yeah. the conversation that like, like we think this works this way. Does it actually work this way? And like, and like help them understand like this, is how we think it works. Is there, we can see how we can make that better or the system we have, is that better? And like, so yeah, it was, it was really interesting. That's one reason why I did it for so long and that, that I thought was so much fun was because like every day was kind of a new challenge and, and kind of trying to create things and, and help grow things to a level that, that isn't, uh, wasn't seen before. And like, and I had this discussion head to head with Kanji, who was a studio head at the time when I joined was like, like my role, like my role here is to make the best Call of Duty game possible. But my personal goal is to try and help COD Esports from the inside. Yeah. Like, how can I do, what can I do to give back to what's given to me in my life? And how can I help things grow? Uh, like, like, for example, like I kind of led the design for the league play in, in World War II. I led some of the stuff for Codcaster and how can we improve those things? And like, those are like some of the stuff that I love doing, obviously from took to heart because it was like my passion, but like obviously the, the balancing and everything, making the Call of Duty game better was my main role because that's what every game developer should be striving for when they work for Call of Duty. So <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was cool. It was really fun. And I'm really glad I got to experience that for as much, as long as I did. No, I mean, that, that to me, you know, that, that sounds sounds like a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie to you, uh, kind of going in there and explaining it. Because I've always, when I explain this to people, I always use a very specific example about how developers and pro players can see the game differently. Uh, and it's actually Call of Duty Ghost that I use the example from, right? I was speaking to a developer uh, and they were talking about watching esports and the players and coming forward. And they said they were always very surprised that the Remington in Ghost was the main assault rifle. And I said, well, why? You know, it, it, it's great. And he goes, well, it doesn't have the most bullets. It doesn't have the least recall. And it doesn't hit the hardest. And he goes, and that was a wake-up call for us because we realized that pro players weren't going for specific attributes. They were going for whatever the most efficient gun at the time was. Mm -hmm. And that is obviously something a casual player doesn't always think about, you know. It is not a play style. It is efficiency. They, they go over it. And that, like you said, that, from your point of view, is something that you probably help them understand more those kinds of situations in call of duty from a professional player standpoint yeah yeah and, and it's funny too that that discussion about what the best weapon is like on paper i can tell you that the best weapon in world war ii wasn't actually the best what people thought was the best weapon in world war ii was yeah and, and that's that's crazy to think about when you like you, you like people on the inside create things to try and drive people to think of certain things and like you look at like what the stats say like Obviously, there's a bunch of like uh, programs that we use in game development to try and figure out what the best things are without actually playing them. Um, and analytics, like what's the time to kill on this gun compared to this gun and so on and so forth. And then when you actually see the game come out and people are playing it differently, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> this didn't go as planned. And it's, it's interesting. It's cool, like really um, to see how people kind of try and, I guess, exploit games is really the term, like at least on a pro level, like that's what players' jobs are, is basically to find every exploit possible um, to give themselves the best chance to compete at a high level. So um, yeah, it, it was really fun, and again, I'm I'm super glad I got to experience what I did. No, I think that I think that's that, that's fair. That's awesome. All right, let's uh, let's move on to some questions because I got some questions from you from the community. Um, yeah. All right, first one is: in your opinion, how much input should a coach give his team during practice? So I kind of vaguely answered that in that yeah. coaches thing, and I don't want to go in depth because to me that's one of the reasons why I'm such a good coach. <laughs> don't give away um, secrets. I like it. I like. Yeah, it. I'm not going to tell you secrets, right? So. So what I will say is that it's different with every team. Um, uh -huh. And that's, that's really for the coach to figure out what the element and how much, how much involvement is the right involvement. And, and that's a fine line. Like that's really a human, like, 
that's probably the most humane part of our jobs are like, like not saying all of our job is like robotic, but like most of what we do is kind of like, like kind of there in front of us, right? Like we just need to try and make our team better. Um, but like how we handle that and how we go about how we do that thing is really based on the person's input and how they feel like they can come in and help the team best. I hope that answered the question without answering too much. <laughs> that was fine. It's fine. Like I said, I wish you a good morning. Maybe, maybe when I'm done competing, uh, coaching, I'll tell you guys more about it. Don't worry. I'm also trying to, as, as you well know, trying to put towards uh, together a coaching like podcast Bill, Bill in the Belichick. future. Bill Belichick is the, the New England Patriots coach. You don't see him talk about what he does for his job every day. So I'm, I'm going with his route. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Like I said, I've, um, I, I asked you for this and I'm going to try and all, I'm trying to organize it at the moment, a coaches round table. Yeah. Um, and obviously getting all these coaches to agree on the time and get into it. It takes a little time for me to put together, but we will get to that. And then we'll go more into the nitty gritty of coaching. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, that people are asking these questions because they do want an inside look into franchising. And I think some of it, there isn't transparency there where there could be a bit more. But that may be also because of COVID and people haven't got a chance to get documentaries off the ground and inside content, which is where a lot of it comes from, right? I know for me, I'm a big fan of things uh, in the NFL that they do behind the scenes. It, it's fantastic. A lot of people are fans of the F1 for the F1 documentary that went onto Netflix. Call of Duty, I think, needs more of that. Because people just don't understand. Like, people probably couldn't tell you your day to day. They wouldn't have a clue what you do. They just imagine you wake up and just talk about Call of Duty, and that's it. And it's a super oversimplification of what is a very real job. Um, but right. we, you know, that will go down another tangent. Let's get on with some more questions from the chat before we end up going off on one. Um, let's have a look at this. Is a really good question, actually. The biggest regret of your pro career? Um. I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't really have that many regrets in my pro career. Um, I felt like a lot of the things, I mean, looking back on when I competed, like I don't, I feel like the only decision that I could have made differently when I competed was not to be so quick. I mean, it's weird. Like it's stupid to think. Cause like, so this is uh, Black Ops 2 early in the year. Um, I got dropped from the team because I couldn't compete in this Machinima tournament. It was kind of like a protection kind of seal for not for Nate shot coming in on the team and having this Red Bull sponsorship that the players could get. Um, but basically I joined this team with Clayster, Parasite and Jake was intake. Um, at the time we played one event together and I really, really liked playing with Clayster uh, on the teaming front. Um, and then after that event, Envy was looking for a player. I ended up trying for the team and basically won the spot. And then, so obviously the two places, second places that champs happened, but I feel like teaming with Clayster for longer would have been beneficial to me in the long run. Uh -huh. And that's probably the only thing that I felt like was probably like, a, I mean, it's weird. Cause it's like, like I parasite was kind of not the easiest person to team with. And I felt <laughs> like I had a good relationship with clay. Yeah. And then Jake was like, not really performing the way we needed him to be. So it would have been kind of like me and Clayster looking for two um, at the time and not having that kind of the safety of a, of a team. Um, and I think that's around the time they announced champs too. So like, I kind of saw that as like, I need to get on the team kind of thing. So, but yeah, I think not team with Clayster for longer was probably the only thing that I felt like could have helped me in my career. Cause I felt like he had a lot of intangibles as a player that molded well with what I did. Um, he's kind of like, obviously like almost like Merck in a way when I didn't team with Merck, like he was that kind of play style and just really, really good, well-rounded player. And then they are player, which was the complete opposite as I was. I fucking hated ARs and I just want to run around with SMG <laughs> do the right things as a team. So yeah, that that's answer to the question. Clay, not team with Clay Shalongo is probably the answer. That's a really good answer because a lot of time when people answer that question, they say, oh, because I didn't win X event or, you know, I could have done X. And I'm like, well, 
I mean, you tried to with that event, so it's hard to regret it. Like, unless you did yeah, something no, really no, stupid. That's a stupid, that's right? a stupid answer. Yeah, unless you did something really stupid. Like, it's difficult to regret something where you gave your all to it. Um, there is a question here in, in the chat, and, it, and, and I'm, and I'm going to answer because they've asked it a few times, um, asking about the format for next year. Now, we can't answer that because I've heard a good amount of stuff, and Ray probably knows even more than I do, but unfortunately... Nice yeah, exactly. That's not something we could release on the podcast because... Let's face it, I don't want to be sued. Uh, <laughs> let's let's move on to the next question here. Um, did you play much of Cold War and or know what the style of Cold War would be prior to the decision to drop Clay? And did it play a factor in your decision? That's a really good question, actually. No. Um, I We saw some of the stuff that they, that they announced at the reveal. So like we we saw some kind of still pictures of like what things they were doing and so on. It's more of like a get us excited kind of thing. Not really. We never got hands on. Like the first times I played the game was when at the reveal when they had like games. Each each team had access to one game and we played on stream kind of thing. That was my first time I got my hands on the game and then also with the alpha. Um, and that was like weeks after. So so we heard about the whole four v four thing internally about a month before champs, which. I mean, shouldn't have never been a thing. Like you're telling, <laughs> yeah, like, a team shouldn't know that one guy's gonna be exiled. Which is, I mean, it was difficult for us, like, because obviously, like, like Clay and Krim kind of figured it would be them, because the young guys are kind of a, a kind of a trio, and like their careers are kind of not reaching their end, but you know, like they're on definitely on the kind of the second half later stage of their career. Yeah, and then like like there was a lot of kind of like internal kind of hardships there, um, and it, and obviously we didn't want to be in a situation where I'm gonna drop anyone, even before champs. Like I, I had very little discussion with Hastro because I mean, as much as I'm the GM and I'm kind of the, the guy that's being thought like Hastro is the one that probably majorly controls the roster for us right now. Yeah. Uh, I have obviously me and him go hand in hand. We have discussions about it, but ultimately I much prefer if he's the one ultimately making the decision, I feel more comfortable with that um, as a, as a person. And I, I'm obviously later on my maybe GM career, I'll, it'll be different, but as it is for right now, and he was kind of the one who put the roster together this year with Kyler um, I felt like it was more comfortable if he made the final decision, but I'll be like, this is information that I don't know if I've talked about yet, but I'll say here. So as soon as they announced the day after we won champs, yeah. they announced four and four. So obviously we're in a situation now where we have to figure things out right now. We didn't, which that's the only thing I was really pissed about was that we didn't get 24 hours to be happy about winning the biggest tournament of the year yeah. until we had to go through and be like, okay, well, fuck. Um, so we pitched this to the team. We went to a team and be like, and we were like, let's do what Toronto could have done this year. Let's keep all five players. No one's yeah. taking a pay cut. We will keep all five players. We will figure out a way of making it work where everyone gets kind of equal play time. And we will mold our teams and our situation for each map mode as the best possibility. Like if this map needs more AR play, then we'll have Crimin Clay in it. If this map needs more sniper, then we'll have Illy in it. If this map needs so on and so forth, right? So uh -huh. we were like, show was very adamant. And I felt like, it had potential to work, but also backlash pretty bad. But we felt like if there's any chance that we can keep the five guys, let's talk to them about it. So the first thing we did is we called every player individually and, was, and offered them, does this, does you feel like this can work? And some players were in for it and some players weren't. Um, and the only way that would have worked is if all play players were like, really yeah. like, let's do this. Because you need everyone to be selfless, right? You need everyone to be in a position where like, like we're going to do whatever we can to make this work. There's never going to be an out where someone gets dropped. Because the worst thing that could happen is like, let's say, so one of the players isn't performing the best or it's not his game next mid time next year, he's dropped from the team and he's got nowhere to go. Um, and that would have been obviously the most unideal situation. So then we had to kind of figure out and talk to the players individually about like who would be the one out. And the reason why we like, I mean, 
I'm not going to go into why Clay was the person. Like, that's not for me to say. And, and I'll tell you right away, like, the, the basis of it is a team decision. Like, it was never Strove personally. It was never me personally. It was never Illy personally, so on and so forth. It was very much a discussion between everyone and figuring out, like, what's best for this team moving forward. Um, and just the reason why we made the decision so quick is to give Clay, which was the person out, the most amount of time to find their team. Like, everyone's like, oh, you guys dropped him two days after. But, like, like that's the best thing that could happen for him. As much as yeah. it sucks ass, and it sucked ass for me, it sucked ass for Stroh, it sucks ass for everyone on the team. Like, I lost sleep over this. Like, I fucking love Clay. Like, as a person, as a, as a teammate, like, literally, like, I just told you my biggest regret was not to play with him before <laughs> my career. Like, and then you've dropped like, him. Unbelievable. The last thing I wanted to do is drop anyone on the show. Yeah. So, like, everyone had an equal amount. And for me, even more so, like, one of the things that I felt like was a huge reason why we won champs and we did so well second half of the year is because Clay started taking a more vocal uh, in-game leadership role, which is something we didn't really have in the middle part of the year. Like no one's really calling shots per se. Um, and he kind of took that on as something that to me, we're going to have to like build, we have to build someone else to do that next year to compete at ice level. So, so yeah, it, it, it was really a shitty situation and I wish none of us had to go through it, um, but I'm happy how we handled it. And I feel like Clay's going to, I mean, obviously Clay hated it at first, and obviously with so reason, um, I feel like he's going to be thankful. For, like, obviously now he's probably thankful for the fact that we did it so fast. And he, I appreciate expressing in a tweet that like, as much as this sucks, like this is the best way possible to do it. Um, and like, yeah, it's just, it was a city situation that none of us wanted to be in. And, and it just, yeah, it, I mean, it sucks. It still sucks to me, honestly. Like I'm just, it took me two weeks to really feel like I won champs, yeah. which shouldn't have been like, <laughs> no, that's... it's it's done. No, I, like I, I spoke to Stroud about it because I saw, you know, the, the the kind of the fallout on the timeline and stuff and i said to him hey come on the podcast let's talk about it because there's a lot of people throwing you know because people were upset about it salting i was like look one of them had to go and i would have put money on it being either crim or clay um yeah. and you know and you could sell like when i spoke to Astro Hastro, just how broken up he was about it right and you know oh, i don't think stro's that good of an actor where he could could pretend no he's not right um you know he's not, I love <laughs> <Shilvan> no. <laughs> like and i was like if anything right i'm upset that the community hasn't realized that more how difficult a decision it would be right because yeah. stro has been around for a long time he, he's known how difficult you know and love these players and he's finally got a world championship winning roster going into the next season he's got to get rid of a major part of it like it's yeah. a horrible thing for a franchise that to kind of have to do and I don't, I don't, you know, ever want to be in that position myself. You know, it, it's agonizing. You know, you've done everything to make the greatest team possible, and then because of circumstance, you've got to get rid of it, and not just a part of it. One of the most storied players in Call of Duty history. There's no back winning. to back world championship. <laughs> yeah, like the guy just won last year. He won this year, and because of like how the circumstances, how like things were as a team, and like looking forward in the future, like he was the one to be exed out, which is like it's ridiculous. It's it's dumb. Like I'm the person who was in part of like that whole scheme and it's like just it's it makes no sense and there's yeah. but that's the thing people have to understand is like no matter what decision we made it would have felt that way as much as yeah. like that's just the way it goes so so yeah no no Let's i get it i get it it's fair it's fair <laughs> um here's an interesting one because i don't want you to there's only two questions left i'm gonna ask two more questions right you can ask um, as many as you want i still got time <laughs> um <laughs> What attributes are you looking for in a sub player for Empire? Now, obviously, we don't want to tell you what your plans are. I'm not going to ask you who it is or anything like that. Just your basic thinking of what you would look for in a substitute player for Empire, whether or not you have one already. A hypothetical, pure hypothetical. Uh, I can't answer that. <laughs> no, that's Sorry. fair. That's Secrets fair. I knew, I, I knew, I knew it'd be a Se difficult one. Secrets of the trades, but yes, there is. It is very much in current working. 
Um, it's going to be, I mean, some people might guess it. I won't say it's like completely out of the box, but it'll, it'll be something that's, it'll be different. Let's put it that way. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, you know, that's at least something for people to kind of wonder over and, and, and go for it. Um, since <laughs> somebody actually asked a question based on something you said earlier, what was the best gun in World War II? Cause I also kind of want to know. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly not sure if I can answer it. I think I may I will. Cause I, I think it's, I think it's fine at this point, but uh, the grease gun was technically the best gun in World War II. As, oh, far, really? as, as far as SMG is concerned, the grease gun was technically as far as time to kill and damage output was the best gun, but there's, I mean, I felt it too, but there's something weird with bullet registration with that gun. Sometimes it's kind of wonky. And I think it's because some of the like weird recoil patterns it had, but like technically if me and you sat head to head with a PPS station, had a grease gun, I would, and we're at, a, I, we're at most common SMG ranges. Granted, maybe not as far, like super close because the PPSH had a high fire rate. But if we both hit every shot, the grease gun would kill you quicker than the PPSH. Oh, wow. That's super interesting. I'm guessing, I guess in that game comes down to that, like I said, efficiency thing, right? Because of the higher fire rate yeah, PPSH, 100%. if you miss a bullet or two, it's less impactful than yeah. with a grease gun. And it's funny, like like we, we look at Advanced Warfare, for example, like the BAL was very good gun and recoil-wise is probably the most efficient. And the, the what made that gun kind of the most used because if you miss shots because of the hard difficulty in movement, yeah. the gun increased fire rate through time. So it helped you kind of recoup the, difficult, the, the missed shots you had. But it was by far not the most, I mean, I think it was in the middle of the pack as far as like damage weapon involved. So it's like it really, like it's not always the best gun from a development standpoint that you think is the best gun that, that ends up being played. It's more so because people figure out what are the kind of the most exploitable things of a, of a weapon. And that's kind of what it was. That's fair. Uh, Follow-up question, but I don't know if it's a, it's a good question, but we'll ask it anyway. Uh, did the developers ever think about giving the grease gun better iron sights? That's an interesting one in terms of game development. Uh, I'm not answering that. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Let's move um, on. Um, yeah. Let's just say I wish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned in one of your recent videos that you are actively trying to get another analyst on the team. Any progress on that? Uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with different things that we're working on. Um, but yeah, I don't want to, again, I don't want to say too much. Like I'm not, I'm not saying the things we're working on are like revolutionary, but like we're looking at things differently, but yes, there is a, we currently have an open staff position that is not necessarily just for an analyst, but we are looking at filling that position. That's something we didn't have last year. Um, last year is very much just me and the players. And then the stats we had were just from the events. We didn't really do like, I actually, I'm going <laughs> to, so I was tracking for the longest period of time. I'd say for like, at least probably I stopped a month or two before chance because we weren't really using it, but I was tracking during scrims on yeah. top of watching minimap and on top of helping the players, I was tracking how much hill time we were getting on each hill yeah. for hard point to figure out which hills we were worse at. And I had a spreadsheet and I was like tracking things. That's almost like an analyst thing to do. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really, we're hoping hopefully next year we have, we will, not hopefully, we will have someone that can help me with some of the duties and also not really, not really take over some of the stuff I'm doing, but more so compliment to it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one thing as well. Like I want to be able to be better as a coach next year. And one of the things that was lacking this year is my understanding on the game from a player standpoint. I had a very good understanding from a, like a coach, like slash manager standpoint from like the outside perspective, right? Like I see the arrows going this way. I see the spawns reacting this way. Like we should be doing this as a team strategy, but like what encompassed as a player mindset to get to those positions. I didn't really have a good grasp on because I didn't really play the game. Um, like, I mean, there was no real way for me to play the game on a competitive level that was good enough to really know these things. Um, hopefully next year that changes since I'll have my chance to play the game from the start. I plan on fully playing eights and kicking some of these pros' ass like I did back <laughs> in the day. Uh, and then, yeah, hopefully get that perspective. But like really like 
that's what I as a GM and a coach is really hoping to add next year is really different perspective and different mindsets to help us fill the holes and the gaps that we didn't necessarily fill quick enough last year to help us get to the highest level quickly. Quickly. Awesome. All right. I mean, I think I'm not going to lie to you. My biggest takeaway from that is that you're going to be back on the sticks next year. So yeah. I, I look forward to seeing you. Maybe, maybe I'll be substitute coach and manager at once. Let's go. <laughs> that, that would really be finessing it. Unbelievable. Um, okay. Uh, last questions. I'll wrap this up for you here. Uh, King Wildcat asked a great question. Is there anything we can do as fans during COVID to support the CDL and Empire even more? I mean, honestly, like, like if you, I mean, granted, we're trying to do more content and we're trying to share content. If you like our merch, I would say definitely the best way to support it is to help us uh, like with our merch and showcase it to your friends. Like, like for example, this is a take the throne shirt. Like this is one of our personal like uh, empire gear we have going. I don't know if it has any in the back. I didn't look at it yet, but no, I don't think so. But it's, it's, it's really cool, sleek designs that we did, we're doing that we like, we like, and they're com- like, there's stuff that we chose comfortable to wear. Like the players, we're all involved in making decisions with the gear so that we like our own stuff so that you guys can like it too. Right. So that's the basis of it. Um, so yeah, I'm like, I, I would say really just support our content. I think is like the mo- the biggest thing you can do as supporters and, and obviously like learn to like us on a personal front, right? Like if you, and I fully expect this and kind of what you described earlier is like, it's easier to like a team and players when you do them on a personal level and you need personal players. And I feel like our team is full of that. It's just, we haven't really provided people with content just yet. Uh, to really showcase that. So uh, we're trying to, we're working on that. We're trying to do that as much as we can uh, during the off season and obviously during the season as well. And it was, it was harder this year, obviously with COVID and that has really changed that much. So it's kind of hard to get everyone in the same place at the same time. Um, but I'd say that's the basis of it. And yeah, like all the guys are doing their best to stream, uh, pro- promote their own content and doing so, so everything they can to provide you guys with stuff to help, to help you get connected with them and the empire during the off season. So I'd say the best way to support us is to really support that stuff. Fair, that's fair. Uh, I did say last one, but I have one more that I've just thought of that's sure. that kind hey, of leads I'm, on from like that. Like I said, ask away. <laughs> so I spoke to Zed last week, and it was actually about the difference between team houses and facilities. Now, it occurred to me just now that obviously, you know, the envious team house, you were there for a long time, and now you've come back to the Empire and the facility. What are your personal feelings on the two? uh so you're trying to you're trying to get the comparison between the envy house and the east yeah because like the, he, funny the enough zed said he actually liked the team house he said it suited him more than but like because he had a very friendly team in his mind when he was back with reciprocity that he actually right. really quite liked the idea of team houses but some people really don't like the team the idea of team houses so i'll say this and this is again my opinion my personal opinion only uh-huh. my opinion hashtag claim whatever um <laughs> i the envy house to me could have been used for more um uh-huh. again like content wasn't really kind of a driving factor it was like the players didn't really work in ways that i felt like should have been kind of like we're here as a, as people like we should be going over things on the more personal front like things that we can't do online we should be doing in person which like we have a whiteboard we go over vod as a team like do a bunch of stuff that's easier to do in person which we really didn't do and i feel like it's mostly because of the players that were on the team weren't really into that um the, the house was more of like a almost a fraternity in, in some capacity um and not really like necessarily workplace which to me I, I wanted more out of that and i feel like that's what the office has done different for us it's a place of work like the players are really going there when they need to kind of care about what they're doing and that's what the office was used before covid for us like like our team specifically scrimmed all the players every day showed up to the office to scrim and they would go back home or stay at the office to play eights or tens or whatever after um so that's kind of the basis of what i would say the comparison is um but i, I still think people put a bad rep on team houses i think team houses 
still to this day have potential to work in some capacity. Obviously, the players need to have a good relationship. And that's probably the hardest thing is to hold a good relationship with people you see around all the time. Yeah. Because like we're all gamers, but we're all different, very different people. And like for me, like personally, I had a big age difference with uh, the players I played with. And also how I am as a human being was very different. Like I'm more of a serious person, I guess you can say, um, more so than like a person who's just like to chill, kick back and hang out kind of thing. Yeah. Like I want to, like this is my job in livelihood. Like I want to be doing this and doing it well. Um, so again, there's so many things that kind of go and that's probably what makes the heart of the house thing more difficult than an office. But I think again, both have their place. Um, but I really like the, the, what are, I mean, if you guys, if you guys haven't seen our office, I don't know if we've done an office tour. You haven't done it. You haven't done a facilities tour. We, we I know to I would have watched it. We, it. Our office is, I mean, we have if it's someone, I, I remember seeing one online like a year ago yeah. uh, before I even joined the team, but it's, I mean, our office is really cool. Um, and we should, definitely should showcase it more because we have so many cool stuff yeah. happening in our office that everyone should get an yeah. insight on it. But that, admittedly, that's what I said, you know, when I said earlier, like I want to see more kind of documentary behind the scene things, things produce very well. I want to be able to visualize what it must be like coming to work in the Dallas Empire facility. That's what I want. To, I want to go through yeah. the front door. I want to see your desk. I want to see, I want to see where the players go. I want to see where they chill out, where you have meetings. I want to see Stroh's desk. I want to see everything, right? And hopefully yeah. that, 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 that's coming. There's still, I, I think so. I think there's still some kind of work stuff happening to like our office has been in constant kind of like work around. Like it's been built. Like we, I think what we had, cause our office is like a whole floor literally right next to the American airline center where the Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas star play. And it's, it's massive. It's really cool. It's big. Um, but there's a lot of walls that were destroyed to kind of open spaces up and make some spaces bigger. Like for example, like the Dallas field team's big. So they had to kind of open up a corner of the office for them. And I'm assuming there was like all whatever cloth, not cloths, but like, office offices offices walls uh -huh. that were there so they they destroyed and rebuilt a lot of the stuff through the years uh through this year um and yeah like now we have like freaking we have like arcade machines we have uh, obviously offices for the, the people we have uh, working stations we have a, like an actual video like producer room we have a video or photo room where we have like different setups for pictures yeah we have the empire room which is like setups obviously the dallas empire and the counter-strike team have a setup and then we have the super cool I don't know how big it is. It's got to be like 170, 180 inches, whatever LED screen that you can sit down and watch stuff on, which is pretty dope. Uh, and yeah, we're getting a ping pong table too soon. So we'll probably see some content on that. I'm really <laughs> and a throne. Pong. And a throne. Is the throne And a throne, yet? yes. Is it uh, there yet? Sorry? Is it there no, yet? No. That, that, actually, I'll probably see the first piece of content you'll see from, uh, I mean, big off-season piece of content, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we don't have it yet. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's basically everything uh, we have to cover. I, I super appreciate it. I know there's a, an awful lot of topics we kind of rattled through there, but uh, any last things you want to say to people listening or watching? I mean, obviously huge thanks to everyone that's supporting not only the empire, but the call of duty scene and the CDL. Like it's, it's been a really tough year for a lot of people out there. And, and I honestly, like the fact that most of us still have jobs and stuff to look forward to every day, like we're incredibly grateful and lucky for um, and all of that wouldn't be possible without you guys' support and your guys' involvement in, in this whole kind of entertainment business. Um, and obviously, a huge thanks to our sponsors who help us keep maintaining all that content and entertainment for you guys um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And yeah, like thanks to you and everyone that people out there that are supporting us and creating content around it. Like it's it, it's kind of crazy how everything just snowballs, right? Like like everything wouldn't work if we didn't have the involvement from a ton of different people. And as much as some people's involvement aren't directly encompassed into like success of the CDL and whatnot, like everyone has a role and everyone has a part of the role in it. And it also like the biggest role is really the viewership and how you guys kind of maintain and get into it. And like, again, content, whether it's from us, whether it's from Chicago, whatever the different teams, like the more you guys get into it and the more you guys kind of submerge yourself into it really helps everything kind of 
keep that snowball rolling and help us create a, a better kind of Call of Duty style of life for everyone. No, that's fair. That's that's an awesome thing to say. You know, I, I agree with that sentiment as well, right? Um, but thank you again, Ray. I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to try and have you back sometime in the next month to do yeah, uh, our coach-specific podcast if I can get everyone to, uh, with a bit of free time. But thank you, everyone watching. This has been The Bryce Cast. I appreciate it. Subscribe. Go listen to it on all the podcast websites and on YouTube. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.